The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. How many of you guys have seen that movie, Anger Management? No, not very many. All right, that part was the funniest part of the movie. Um, I don't know about you guys, but for me, uh, that was actually a very awkward part for me because I hate it when people tell me to calm down. Rarely in life do I actually get upset or really fired up about something, but I don't think telling somebody to calm down ever makes you want to calm down. There was one time uh, last year I was um, taking a bunch of students uh, on a mission trip over to Africa, and the lady had lost our reservations when we showed up at the airport. 12 students for a you know $2,500 trip or whatever it was. And I continued to be like, okay, uh, what are you going to do to find a reservation? Or could I please speak with somebody that knows what they're doing here? And she continued to say, look, I just need you to calm down. And I'm telling you, did anything but make me want to calm down. And I was thinking about it, and that's really one of only two pet peeves that I have, only two things that really annoy me. Um, people tell me to calm down when I just want to fix something. And when you go to like a barbecue or outdoor grill and they give you small cups. You ever been there? You get a giant plate of food and uh, then you go over and there's this tiny little cup and you fill it up with lemonade like this. And, and then you have to go back like four times to get lemonade. Uh, I think small cups are one of the worst things ever invented, actually. And it got me thinking, what are our pet peeves? What are the things that annoy us the most? And so I went online to this website called getannoyed.com, and I found all these random pet peeves. And I don't know if you guys relate to these, if they're things that frustrate or annoy you too, uh, but I found some of the ones I really liked, and I decided to show them tonight. Uh, so we can go ahead and, and go with that first pet peeve that I thought was at the top of the list. Students who prolong class by asking the most pointless questions. You know what I'm talking about. You're about to leave, and then all of a sudden somebody asks a question, and then you're there another 15 minutes. Annoy anyone? No? Okay. Um, going through the drive-thru, then having to go back when they mess up your order. Here's a constant dilemma that I go through. As you're driving home, if you didn't stop and see your order, and you realize they forgot French fries or something like that, and then you think, is it worth the $1 worth of fries to go back? Which it usually is, but still, sometimes it's a long drive back. Okay, that's one that people put. Saying, let there be light every time any light switch is flipped on. Maybe some people do it all the time. It appears to annoy some people. It was near the top of the list. Next. When you pull a string hanging from your shirt and it doesn't break, it only becomes longer. Yes. That's why I bite all strings on my shirts off. Uh, number five. Bathroom stalls with a mirror so you can see your whole self while seated. I didn't get this one. I didn't understand what it meant. Has anyone been in a bathroom where you just... Really? There's a mirror and you can watch yourself. That is really awkward. Uh, I didn't know why this was near the top of the list. I've never seen it. Anyways, very annoying to some people. Okay, this one I thought was hilarious. People who leave farts in elevators that I subsequently enter, the next person thinks it's me. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, it seemed like it could annoy some people. Uh, what's the seventh one on there? People with poor umbrella etiquette. Okay, what does this mean? Okay, explain what this means. I didn't know what umbrella etiquette is. <laughs> oh, no, no, that's a pet peeve. That's a fine to express. 
This is a good place to express it. Okay, okay, good. Thank you. I had no idea what umbrella etiquette was. Um, next, eighth one. When people use the word literally inappropriate. I, I literally jumped out of my skin. The other day I was at this leadership conference. It was like a very professional leadership conference, and the guy speaking was very high up in an organization. And he, he said, I literally exploded with anger. <laughs> and I... <laughs> Good question. Uh, that annoys some people. What else do we got? We got a couple more. Okay, barbecue restaurants with happy pigs on the sign. Um, I know around here we don't have a ton of barbecue restaurants, but I do see the irony in having a very happy pig on the front of a barbecue joint. Thought it was quite amusing. Okay, this one I don't like, and this actually does kind of annoy me now that I thought about it. When the waitress asks whether you want dessert, but smiles in a way that means she is clearly judging you. When she comes and she's like, hey, would you like some, what are you, or what are you having for dessert? She says, and I'm obviously full, otherwise I'd order more food, not dessert. Um, and you do feel kind of judged, like if I don't get dessert, I'm being kind of cheap. And so that always annoys me. Oh, I, I did not know that. Okay, thank you. Uh, and I think we got one more up there. Okay, when people trip over you with their foot in the hallway and then start running to pretend like they meant to do it. Now, this one, kind of, when I read it, I was like, oh, no, that's something I actually do all the time. Uh, constantly trip, and I constantly run to pretend that I meant to do it a lot of times in, like, that jogging fashion and then kind of loosen up. But one of the things I thought, that's good, you can, you can pull that off. I was looking at these pet peeves, and the thing about looking at pet peeves, which I don't really recommend because when you're going through them, you realize that either one... Those things really annoy you too, and it builds to your list, or you realize, oh no, I do have these things that are annoying everybody around me. And that one was not a good one for my self-esteem. But I was, I was thinking about it, and, and with my pet peeve being when people tell me to, to settle down, I really think that the reason that annoys me is because when I get into a situation, and it's kind of a tense situation, something needs to happen, I really think, okay, how can I solve this problem? I want to solve it as quick as possible. I don't want to just calm down and let it pass by. I want to, to make something happen. I want to do whatever it takes to figure that situation out. I want to know what, um, you know, what do you guys do in that situation that, you know, you, um, you get yourself into that you don't know exactly what to do. It's kind of a, a tense situation. In fact, what do you do when it's even a, a bigger situation? Maybe something goes wrong, not the way you expected it. Are you someone that, that just kind of sits in a ball and cries on the ground. Um, you know, some people, you know, you might pray in that situation. Um, you might just want to solve problems right away. You know, you might attack it head on. You may wait for someone else to, to do something about it. Um, I found it pretty interesting. I was, I was reading online when the U.S. Airways uh, flight crashed into the Hudson River a while back. And uh, for those of you that remember, I think everyone probably remembers when the U.S. Airways flight crashed. And... Uh, they interviewed a, um, a flight attendant on the plane when the plane was going down and said, what was it like when the plane was going down? And she said that the pilot immediately, when he saw the flames and stuff, said, hey, prepare yourself for impact. And immediately everybody on the plane was really quiet, and a lot of them were preparing themselves for impact, but everyone, almost everyone on the plane was praying. Even people that would confess later, I don't really know which God I was praying to, but I was praying that, that somebody was going to save us. And, and how when we get into a situation when we don't have any idea 
how to save ourselves when we are completely helpless that a lot of us find ourselves praying. And that in contrast to when the plane actually hit the water and the emergency exits opened and water started flooding onto this plane, uh, the same flight attendant said people started going crazy. They were pushing kids out of the way. Everybody was running chaotically toward uh, the exits. Um, and you didn't find a whole lot of people sitting and praying at this time. You know, everyone knew that they could do something about the situation. So what they were doing is, is trying to, to help themselves get out of there as soon as possible. And that's kind of this idea that we're going to look at tonight, is this idea of where do we find ourselves when we can't really help ourselves, when we don't know what to do, when things are chaotic in our own lives. As we continue to look through the book of Exodus, last week, uh, Bill Strunk was here speaking on the plagues that we saw happen in Egypt, on the ten plagues that God brought down upon the Egyptians. And then uh, where we find ourselves in this story from here is that uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians have let the Israelites go. And the Israelites have uh, exodus. They've exited out of Egypt. And they went ahead and they've crossed the Red Sea. Everyone probably knows the story of the Red Sea. God opens up the Red Sea. Uh, Moses and all the Israelites pass through. They get to the other side. Uh, and then the Egyptians try to follow them through. God brings the, the water down and, and kills all the Egyptians. And then you have the Israelites on the other side. All of a sudden they're excited. They, they've survived. All the Egyptians are, are dead. And now they are free and they can do whatever they want. And they start singing songs of praise to God. And they're singing songs for a whole chapter in Exodus. And right as soon as they're done singing is where we're going to pick up the story tonight. Um, in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. And it's going to be a good amount of Scripture. Um, so bear with me here. But uh, this, is, this is Exodus um, 15:22. It says, when Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur, for three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. 
Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the morning, in the evening, and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came down and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one of you is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. Okay, so uh, I know that's kind of a lot of scripture. What we see happening here. Uh, like we said, the Israelites, they, they go through the Red Sea. They're singing songs of praise out in the desert. They're excited. They're thinking, oh, this is awesome. Uh, we're free. They're so excited uh, that they know that, that, you know, all of a sudden they go from being slaves in Egypt for years and years and years to all of a sudden we have our freedom. We're going into the promised land. We can do anything we want. They turn and what they see is the desert. And this was pretty disappointing for the Israelites because what they were hoping for was the land of milk and honey. What they were hoping for was the promised land. They were hoping for for all the food they could eat. They thought God brought us out of this land. Of course, He's going to take us right into something way better. This was a huge disappointment for the Israelites that thought they were going to leave a really tough situation and all of a sudden things were going to be just a world of difference. And I try to put this in terms that I understand here and I hate even doing this because it hurts to do this. But there's only one real way that I can explain kind of what the Israelites are feeling in this in this situation. Okay, on September 6, 2008, I was sitting in Husky Stadium, and the dogs were down 28 to 21 to BYU with three minutes and 24 seconds left on the clock. Okay, deep in their own territory, and late in the game, Jake Locker takes a snap from center, drives the dogs downfield against all kinds of circumstances not in their favor. Second and 19 on their own 35-yard line, long pass converted for a first down. Fourth and ten at midfield, Jake scrambles for 14 yards to keep the drive alive. And finally, third and three on the three-yard line, third and goal. And Jake scrambles to his left and dives into the end zone with two seconds left in the game to put the dogs down 27-28, only an extra point away from tying the game and going into overtime. And I was ecstatic at this point. This was just about the most excited I've ever been. I broke one of my flip-flops in the stands because I was jumping up and down. In the stands, I was so excited. I was hugging people I didn't know. All of a sudden, to turn back to the field and see a flag, a penalty for excessive celebration, and to watch the dogs penalize 15 yards. 
on what can only be considered the worst call in football history. And, and to, to watch the extra point from much farther back get blocked only to lose the game by one in the final seconds. To go from such a place of excitement to such a place of disappointment is what we see the Israelites go through here. Not nearly what they expected. All the faith they had in God is now gone at this point. As soon as something goes wrong. That's what we saw in the text. We see them get hungry and all of a sudden grumble. Where's God in this? We see them get thirsty. We have no water. Where's God in this? And I don't think the Israelites are alone in thinking this way. I think in our own lives when things are going great, Oftentimes we're excited to praise God. We see God taking care of us. Oh, He's given us a great job. Oh, He's given us a great relationship. He's given me great friends, a great place to live. God, I trust you completely at this time. Wherever you lead, I'm going to follow. But as soon as things go wrong in our own lives, as soon as they go different than the way that we thought they would, that's when we start to doubt where God is in our lives. We start to think, maybe you're not there God, maybe I made a mistake when I was thinking I should, uh, I should be going this direction. It's a lot harder than I thought. And we start to doubt God in this. We question God and start to think He's absent because it's not going according to the plan that we thought. Tough times in life are not the times where God is absent. Sometimes they're the times where we can actually hear God the clearest in our lives. The sad thing is often we don't take advantage of these opportunities. And oftentimes we, we get out of a relationship that we really thought was, was going somewhere and our, our first thought is to freak out and think, God, obviously you're not here or you wouldn't do this to me. Well, maybe God is thinking, hey, at this time, I want you to seek me out. I want you to get closer to me. I want to know you more. You know, maybe we thought we had a job, you know, lined up for the summer. All of a sudden that doesn't work out and we don't have a job and we start freaking out. God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I got no source of income. I'm not going to be able to live this way. This could be the opportunity that God's saying, I want you. I want to know your heart even more. Come seek me out in this time. Come find me because I care about you and I want to know you more. It's in these moments of suffering in our lives that we're reminded to take joy and then by the Apostle Paul in Romans, in chapter 5, Paul says, I want you to take joy in this suffering that you go through. The problem is, is that it's hard to take joy in suffering. It's not something we like to do. Because hard times, let's face it, hard times suck. We don't like hard times. We don't like it when things don't go the way we thought. And so what do we usually do when we get ourselves in these situations? We start to wonder where God really wants us. And we find it much easier to go back to a comfortable and sometimes an un- unhealthy way of life that we were living in before. Because back in Egypt, back where we were, even though we were slaves to something in our lives, even though we were beaten, tortured, horrible way of life, at least we could count on some things. At least it was predictable. At least we knew at night we would be able to sit down and eat. We had something predictable in our lives. We knew that and we didn't have to trust at all. No faith was required back in Egypt. And now out here, all of a sudden, I have to trust that God is moving, that God is here, that He's going to take care of me. You know, when I was in this relationship, it may not have been everything I dreamed of. It may have not been a healthy relationship for me at all, but at least I had something 
to hold on to that was predictable. And at least I didn't have to trust God now that something's going to be better. In, in, this, in this eating disorder I've been going through, it may have been a, not a healthy situation at all for me. But at least I have control over something. Back in Egypt, back when I was involved in that, at least I had control. Now I have to trust that God is going to take care of me. That God is in control of my life. That He's doing something here. And this is what the Israelites were saying when they're saying, hey, I just want to go back to Egypt. We just want to go back to the old way. At least it was somewhat predictable. Because the desert is the scariest place to be. It's a scary place to be out there, not knowing where God is. But man, it's an excellent time as well. It's an excellent opportunity to grow our faith. That God will provide manna. That He will bring water for our hunger and our thirst. I'll tell you, three years ago, uh, I graduated from University of Washington here and I had the opportunity to go down and work, uh, continuing on working in college ministry down at the University of Alabama. And I really didn't have too many options in front of me, so I decided to take it. And down there, I'll say that that it was one of the hardest things I've done. The first couple years, well, the only couple years down there, but especially the first year was really, really difficult for me. I found it tough to make friends. I found it tough to fit in. I found that the ministry we were trying to start wasn't going the direction that I had planned for it. And all of a sudden, I found myself going, God, maybe I mistook what you were saying. You know, maybe, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe you didn't really want me here. Maybe... You just left me out in the desert. And it was at this point, more than any other point in my life, where I finally started turning toward God and going, you know, God, if, if, if you're real and you're out there, I need you. I need you to take care of me because I can't do this on my own. All of a sudden, it was the first time in my life at age 24 that my faith stopped being in myself and started being in God because I knew that nothing was going to happen without, without Him in my life there. Okay, and it was fun. It was fun to come back to the Oasis okay, of Seattle, come back, see people I know. Always fun to go back to the Oasis when you're out in the desert. But the real growing for me happened out there, out in a place where it was, it was me and God, and, and He really um, used that opportunity to, to grow me, uh, bring me closer to Him out where I had to, to rely on Him. And sometimes we have to leave the Oasis of our own comfort and security to go into the desert to really experience what God has for us. That's why a mentor of mine would always say, if you come across two decisions in life, you don't know what to do, you've got a couple options in front of you, and they're pretty equal, take the one that's the bigger risk. Because in that, you'll see God more. When we step out, when we start taking risks, we'll see God more in that. This was a risk that the Israelites took. And I'll tell you, we give them kind of a hard time um, about... Uh, you know, about getting out in the desert and not really having faith necessarily. But, but I do like something that they do here. I do like that the Israelites are willing to leave the situation they're in, in Egypt, and go out and at least try, at least give it a shot. Sometimes, you know, I find myself in this Egypt of my own life, in this situation that I would call unacceptable, but too afraid, not knowing what's out there, too afraid even to try, too afraid to get out there. And that's why I like what's going on with the Israelites here, is at least they're giving it a shot. You know, it may be an unknown lifestyle waiting out for them, out there for them. But at least they're, they're, they're trying. At least they're willing to move. And for some of us, we may be in, in bad situations in our life that, 
that it seems scary to get out of because we don't know if it's going to be worse or if it's going to be better out in the desert. But this is where we have to start trusting God that He has something better for us. That if He's going to call us out of what we're in right now, that He's going to call us into something better in our lives. We're meant to move. We aren't meant to stay rooted in our suffering, in the bad situations in our life. And if we wait until we have all the details figured out, rarely are we ever going to go. If we wait to be so sure that God is calling us to do something, we're probably going to sit around forever wondering. True exodus requires faith. The Israelites moved out of Egypt not knowing what was out there for them. And God had a plan that they couldn't see. And as soon as things went wrong, they immediately thought they should go back to their old lifestyle. And oftentimes it's tough when things get hard not to run back to the difficult ways we were living in before. But when we go through challenges, when we stick it out, we see God work in that. That's what starts to even make us whole. It makes us more of who we were created to be. And one of the problems for us, and I know that I'm included in this, is, is I'm resistant to change a lot of times in life. I'm resistant because it's hard. It's difficult. And because I've started to depend on other things in life. I've started to depend on other things to, to make me whole. And sometimes I think that we rely so much on other things that we no longer find ourselves in a place where we need God. Or we think we need God. When we trust God, oftentimes we feel like we're giving something up in those times. But in reality, when we step out in faith, when we step toward Him, that's where, where life gets a whole lot richer for us. The problem is that when we step out of things, when we're like the Israelites, when we step out of Egypt, we immediately want to enter the promised land. We don't want to go through anything tough. We don't want to walk through the desert. And, and it's not always that way. Sometimes it's hard. The wilderness isn't a fun place to be. So usually we find ourselves, we get out in the wilderness, we don't know what to do, we immediately go back to the old ways we were living in. Okay, but out there, out in the desert, what I like about it is that we learn more about God's character out there. We learn more about uh, the life that God intended for us out there. When we go through trials, suffering, and hard times, God makes Himself known to us through them. When we go through trials, we usually have two options at this time. Okay, we face tough things in our life. We're thinking, okay, what should I do? We can either turn toward God or we can turn away from Him. And the tough thing is that turning toward God, having God in our lives, doesn't just make life easy. Okay, don't mistake this message tonight. Having God in your life doesn't just make things easy. As we can see with the Israelites, it doesn't just mean having God there makes it easier for them. Okay, there's a reason that sin is easier to live in than to trust God. It's much easier to stay in slavery, you know, where they're at, than to trust that God has something better for them. You know, but man, how much greater is a life that God offers from trusting Him? Yeah, sometimes to get to that promised land, it takes work. Sometimes it takes suffering. And it's rarely easy to get to a place where we're no longer slaves to something anymore. That requires work in our lives. You know, in fact, some of my ancestors in my own heritage have been through a lot of this suffering 
to get through a place that really, you know, where they really found more freedom um, from the things they were going through. And uh, and I want to show you, I found some footage of them uh, that I just want to show you kind of what it's like to try to get out of that suffering that you're in. Um, all right, so that's like my great-great-grandpa, a lot of greats in there. Um, as, a, as a McAvoy family, we had to go through a lot, but, you know, eventually came out better. A lot of good men died out there, but uh, worth it for the freedom. Okay, and fighting is something that's never easy. Okay, it's never easy in our life. We oftentimes, to get to somewhere we really want to be, we got to go through tough things in life. That oftentimes is, is the way it is. And sooner or later, we have to go through the tough battles to get ourselves out of the unacceptable situations that we find ourselves in. Okay, so as I look at it, most of us probably sitting out here tonight find ourselves in possibly one of these three places that the Israelites have been, are, or are trying to go. Okay, and if, if you're sitting here tonight and you find yourself in, in Egypt, sitting there afraid to leave a tough situation, knowing it's probably better out there, I would encourage you to think about what it is, what it is that's holding you back. You know, what it is that's, that's gripping you, that's, that's stopping you from trusting God in your life and stepping out and trying to break free of this. And for those of you that are sitting here, and you may find yourself in the promised land. You may say life is good right now, and I do trust God completely, and He's been taking care of me. I would say remember where all these good gifts come from. Life isn't always hard. It's not always suffering. Sometimes we do find ourselves there. And when we do, maybe we can be used to help other people. Maybe we've been blessed so that we can be a gift to other people to help them through their own suffering. And the third place that we may find ourselves is out in the desert right now. And if that's where you find yourselves, I would say tonight, my encouragement would be to keep going. Keep going. I know it's tough. It's probably the toughest place to be. But know that God is bigger than the desert. That we can go through it. That you don't need to automatically just run at the first sign of hard times in this. But that oftentimes, the desert is the place where we hear God the clearest. Because it's easy to think that we can do everything ourselves when life is predictable and we know exactly what's going to happen every day. Okay, but when we're out in the desert, we find ourselves needing God at this time. When we're going down with the U.S. Airways flight, we have no control. We need God at this time. That's when we find ourselves praying to God, find ourselves needing God in these moments. When suffering happens in our life, when things don't go exactly as we expected, we can freak out we can start to question God. Or we can start learning to put our faith in Him. That we'll wake up tomorrow and there will be bread on the ground and fresh water to drink. Okay, now, now one thing is, is that we don't see God store up a lot of food in this story for the Israelites. He doesn't give them storehouses and, and barns just filled with bread and, and, and filled with meat. He says, he says, I want you to go out and I want you to trust me every day. Don't gather too much because whatever you don't eat is going to go bad. I want you to go out every morning trusting that tomorrow morning there's going to be food the same way there was today. I want you to trust me in this. And this is what God's doing. This is the time where He's building the trust of the Israelites because He's about to take them 
to the base of Mount Sinai. He's about to give them these Ten Commandments. He's about to give them some rules to live by. And first he wants them to make sure that there's a relationship here, that they trust him because the rules he's given them are not for them to follow so that they can be in a relationship with him. He doesn't want to be their rule giver. He doesn't want to be our rule giver. Okay, He wants to be our Savior. And He wants them to trust Him in this situation. A couple thousand years later, God sends His Son, Jesus, down to earth. And, and Jesus is walking around and He's teaching and He's preaching. And, and in John chapter 6, we watch Jesus compare Himself to this manna out in the desert. Compare Himself to the bread that God provided. And he says in uh, chapter 6, verse 47, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh. Which I will give you, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus is saying, My Father came and He provided manna. He provided bread in the desert, and He taught them to trust Him every day. He taught them they were going to need to wake up in the morning, and they were going to need to trust Him if they were going to get through that day. And thousands of years later, Jesus is telling us, He's saying, Look, I want you to wake up, and I want you to trust Me every day. I want you to trust that when you live in Me, I'm going to take care of you every day, even in your suffering. Because more than anything else, what I want is to be your Savior. How many of us put ourselves in position in life where we have to rely on God? Where we need to wake up and know Him and live in Him in order to get through that day? When we face times of suffering in our own lives, these aren't aren't places where God is absent in our lives but rather tremendous opportunities for us to put our trust in a God who desperately wants to be in a deeper relationship with you. Let me pray. God, it's not easy. It's not easy to wake up in the morning and trust you when times are tough. God, it's not easy to leave situations that we know we shouldn't be in. God, it's not easy to leave the things that we have started to put our trust in in our life, God. Um, But I pray that that for all of us, God, uh, especially me, God, that we would learn to to trust you more. God, step out on that faith knowing, God, um, that you're there for us, Lord. Thank you for these words. It's in your name we pray. Amen.